We are in a series, it's called Devotions, and it's really about exploring and applying the Bible. This is one of those series that's a very, very, uh, it's got a lot of handles on it. it it's, um, it's nuts and bolts, if you will, uh, for Christians. And we're talking about the Word of God, the Bible, and how to read the Bible and actually apply it to our life. Uh, you know, some of, some of this series strictly comes down to, to even just reading comprehension. How many of you, you, you did really well in school in reading comprehension? How many of you did not do so well? It, okay, we're about 50-50 there. Uh, so, um, it, depended if, it depends if I like the book or not. You know what I'm saying? If I'm interested in the topic. Uh, if I'm not interested, it's like I read it and you get done and you have no idea what you just read. You know what I'm saying? Just in one ear, out the other. But, but you know, when it comes to the Bible, honestly, it can be like that. It, it, it can be like that sometimes where you're reading and you're like, what did I just read? And at the first pass, if it doesn't really make sense or doesn't hit something, it's like, well, I'll just keep going. And, uh, but did you know that every book of the Bible matters? You know, it really does. Every story matters. And we kind of have to have this, this bigger mindset, but we also want to have a mindset that we understand how to actually study the word of God. And sometimes whenever we talk about studying the Bible, that even kind of turns some people off because they're like, oh my gosh, it's such a big book. It's intimidating. You know, it's complex. It was written in different languages and we've got different translations now. And it's just like, ah, and some people fall into a rhythm where they just come to church on Sundays and they wait for somebody like me to stand before them and tell them what the Bible says. And although I believe in the teaching of the word, I, I believe in church, churches uh, gathering together like this to, to, to worship and to hang out together and to hear the word taught and to pray together, I believe in that. I also believe in personal devotion. And I believe that's the bedrock of your, found, of your relationship with God. This is sort of an overflow environment. This isn't the main environment, although it's good. It's not, you know what I'm saying? There's more to it than just this. And so what we wanted to do in this series is kind of give, again, give you some handles on how to study the word of God. Uh, our goal is to grow in our ability to explore and apply the word of God to our lives. And uh, there's a lot of tools and methods to do that. And actually, uh, if we wanna go put up that next slide, these are some of the things that we went over the first week, uh, two weeks ago in this series. And you can go back and watch that because we sort of spent the first half of the message sort of in the nuts and bolts and the, just kind of helping you understand how to use some of these things right here. Um, I did wanna highlight though the one-year Bible. This is the, uh, the plan that we are using through for October and November, all right? So we picked up in the October references. And what the one-year Bible is, is if you start in January and you just read every single day, it's about 15 minutes of reading per day. By the end of the year, you have completed reading the entire Bible. And so what we're doing is we're taking some of those references each week and we're teaching on those references, all right? So I wanna encourage you, if you haven't been in the one-year Bible, pick it up. It's, it's an easy read. It, again, you're gonna read some Old Testament, some New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb. And, um, but anyway, we're gonna be moving through the one-year Bible and it's, uh, we're, we're asking three questions that I'll get back to here in just a moment, but we're asking three questions about the verses that we read. Because what happens sometimes is we just kind of ambiguously read scripture. We don't really kind of read into the scripture. We just sort of pass over it. And it, you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like, it's kind of like sand through our hands. And so we wanna think a little bit more critically about what we're reading. I wanna read a couple of scriptures, Hebrews 4. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
I don't know about you, but I can't always discern my own intentions. But when I read the word of God, it sort of reads me. You know what I'm talking about? And that's, that's some of the, uh, the worth and the value of reading the word. But also 2 Timothy says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What I read in that is that I can't actually be equipped for good works that are righteous good works without knowing what those things are based upon what the word of God says is good and holy and true, right? So the, the, the crux of the matter, everything comes down to how we value and read and put worth on the Bible, the word of God as Christians. And so today we're gonna be looking at a passage out of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter five. And remember what we've talked about is every time that we get into a new book in the Bible, for this, one's, for this one it's Thessalonians, it's good to have an idea of what this book is, who it's written to, who's the author, kind of, what kind of culture is the person that's writing this book, who are they writing to? How would the people who were sitting there reading this letter, how would they have received it? Like, what was their mindset? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we live in, we live in 2022, and so if somebody writes you a letter, it's gonna be in context of how you would understand it in 2022. They're not gonna write a bunch of these and thous or, or, or talk about some sort of king that lived 400 years ago, right? Because you would be like, I don't, I don't know who that is. But they would maybe talk in context to the current president or, or something that's culturally relevant. So if we don't have an understanding of what was going on in that time, sometimes we lose the intention of, uh, of the author and what they were, what, who they were writing to. So just a couple of things about this book, Thessalonians. It was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, around 80, 49 to 51. And this was on his second missionary journey. Uh, he went on three missionary journeys, and this is his second one. It was written to Thessalonica, which was the capital city of Macedonia, present-day Greece, I know that's like a great vacation spot now, but uh, it wasn't as much of a vacation spot potentially back then, all right? But it was a major commercial city and a hub for the region and it was a very strategic location for Paul to plant a church. Did you know that Paul had a lot of strategy in the way that he planted churches? He went to certain places where he could have hub churches and then launch from there. There was a lot of strategy of how to, uh, to operate in this that Paul uh, expressed in the way that he traveled around and the way that he launched leaders out. Uh, Paul wasn't just arbitrarily just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just... Uh stop here and make a church, you know? Like he was like, no, I'm gonna go here. We're gonna have a church here, here, here. And, and then he would write letters to those churches, which is what we're reading here. So a uh, little context, Paul was forced to leave Thessalonica because of persecution led by the Jews in the area. If you know Paul's story, he was a Jew, or he, he's a Jew, and he was a leader of the Jews, okay? And he would persecute Christians, throw them in jail, kill them. He was a, he was a bad dude, and then he converts, and then he was no longer a friend of those same people. Then they're, you know, they're persecuting him. He later sent Timothy to check on the believers there and Timothy reported back that they endured the persecution, but now they had concerns about the Lord's return, okay? So the purpose of Paul's letter was this, to encourage these new converts in their faith, to teach them about godly living and communal conduct, how to actually live together as the body of Christ, okay? And comfort the church regarding the return of Christ. So with some of these things kind of floating around in our heads, as you read these scriptures, it tilts the way that you would read them. 
You have these little nuggets in your mind. Again, this is the kind of stuff that we talked about a couple weeks ago. You go look it up. You go read it in the study Bible or, or go on YouTube and, and read summaries about these books, and it helps you get some context. But as we read these scriptures, remember, these are the three questions that we are asking about every scripture that we read. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? And what do I learn uh, or what does God want me to do? Right? I don't know. You know, how many of you have maybe started doing this even recently, asking these three questions whenever you read scripture? It, it just, it changes the way that you read scripture because you're not just reading it again ambiguously or, or arbitrarily. You're, 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 there's purpose. Where is God in these scriptures? And so, for instance, the first question is, what do I learn about God? As we read these scriptures, I want you to remember, just like you would in reading comprehension back in the day, it's what scriptures say anything about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, right? Father, Son, Spirit. What scriptures say anything about that? Because that is a scripture that is letting you know something about God. What scripture says anything about people, the way that they think, the way that they act? Because those scriptures are telling us something about ourselves and about other people. And then, you know, uh, it, just, it just helps us to move through these scriptures in a, a purposeful way. So we're gonna read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 14, and then, and then verse 23 through 24. And then we're gonna talk about it a little bit. It says this, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now remember, if you know that the purpose, one of the purposes of the book is that he's, the people are, they're concerned with whether or not the Lord is gonna return, okay? And, and so he's like, he's like, look, that day is gonna come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Like basically, you're aware as Christians, as believers, you're not in the dark about this. You understand that this day is coming. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. Now he's not talking about literal sleep, okay? He's talking, this is metaphorically here. Like, like let's not live our life asleep. We're not asleep as others do, but let us, be, uh, let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us be sober-minded, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us as believers for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might, we might live with him. Verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, he's kind of almost talking to two different people here. He's talking to the, to the, to the church, to the people in the church, and he's saying, hey, listen, um, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Respect those who are leading you and, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then he turns to the leaders and he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In verse 23, we're gonna skip down to 23 for today. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. All right, so we read these scriptures. And again, I want you to picture yourself whenever you read the Bible. Like, you know, whether it's sitting on the back porch before you go to work, whether it's lunchtime, you know, your lunch break in your car, uh, whether it's, you know, you're working out and you're, you're playing the Bible in your ear, and you're, you know, whatever it looks like for you, and you're, you're reading these, these scriptures. If, if there is a, a flippancy about what we're reading, we miss the beauty of scripture, and we miss what it is that God's trying to speak to us. But again, if we ask these questions, they're simple questions. But how many of you know simple questions are sometimes some of the most complex, some of the most deep things? It's sort of like when people say, I, I really want to get into the deep things of the Lord. And it's like, yeah, me too. But you know what's really deep is, is 1 Corinthians 13. How to love someone. You know, what is love really like? So sometimes the simple things are actually the deep things. Okay, and so whenever we read these scriptures, the first question we ask is, what do, what do I learn about God? What do we learn about God in the scriptures that we just Read. And there's a lot of things. We, we heard that God is merciful. He's faithful. He sanctifies us, right? There's all these things that we could think about, we could pray about, we could study, we could look at cross-references of those scriptures. But the one thing that we want to lean into for today is the fact that God is returning. Jesus is returning. That's what Paul's trying to get the people to understand. Now, here's the deal. The people in this time they thought Jesus was coming back literally at any moment. Like at any moment. So there, I mean, for some people, it's like, why do we even need to have jobs? I mean, Jesus is coming back. So like, you know, I'm not worried about my savings account right now. You know, let's just go on vacation perpetually until Jesus comes back. I mean, Jesus, whenever he died, he was raised back to, to life. He went and he traveled around and his disciples, many, many, many people, hundreds of people saw Jesus and he spoke to them for many days. And then, you know, I don't know how many of you, you know this part, but in Acts, Acts, 9, Acts 1, uh, verse 9 through 11, it says this. When he had said these things, Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. This is when Jesus ascended. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? To which I would be like, did you just see? <laughs> I mean, that was kind of weird. That's why I'm still staring. But they said, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there is this right now imminent Jesus is coming back and we are, like our eyes are peeled. I would, I, I would just have to say that for me, if I was just having my morning coffee, I'd, probably, I'd be looking up in that same direction, just like, just waiting, you know what I'm saying? There was this anticipation about Jesus returning. But like for us today, I mean, do, do you ever think about the fact that Jesus is returning? Is, is that like in your mindset at all? Or is it kind of like, is it kind of just drifted into, I don't know, the same value as what time the saints play today? You know what I'm saying? Like, like value-wise, like how much do you actually contemplate or meditate or think about the return of Jesus? 
I think for a lot of people, it's been so long that there's a lot of um, just sort of, uh, I don't know. I've never seen it happen, so therefore, uh, maybe it was just like a metaphor. That's not the way that the early church took it. They took it literally. Jesus is returning. It's part of our mission statement here at Northwood Church. That we're gonna, we're gonna do what we do until Jesus returns or we pass away, one or the other, right? We're gonna continue to do this. We're gonna continue to make disciples and love God. Now, Jesus came the first time to redeem mankind, right? He comes, he came as a, as a suffering servant, okay? He came to, to be condemned, to take on our sin and our punishment, okay? And to overcome death in the grave. He came to, to do that. But the Bible says that he will return again to judge the world. So the day of the Lord is going to be a day of rejoicing in one sense, but also it's gonna be a day of pain and judgment. So for those who are believers, there's great hope in the day of the Lord. But those who are not, it's a different story. Those who are far from God, it's another story. Now, for us who believe, it does bring great anticipation. Now, for each of us today, you know, if you're watching online, it's the same thing. We, we are all anticipating something in our life right now. Every single one of us, we have something that's out in front of us that is kind of forming the way that we live today. All right, so like if you have a vacation plan for next year, that is something in the future you're anticipating. So what do you do? You prepare for it. You save money. You know what I'm saying? You make reservations. It's, you know, just basic things, right? But because there's something you're anticipating, it shapes the way that you live today. If you're graduating this year, you know, from college or high school or whatever, if you're graduating, like this whole year is in preparation for graduation. No matter what, maybe you're getting married in, in a couple of years. Like there's this thing that you're looking for and you're planning for. The, these big events in our life cause us to live differently. All right? And it's the same thing with the coming of Jesus. It's like, honestly, y'all, we really don't know when it's gonna happen. By the way, if anybody has a book that you're reading that tells you when Jesus is coming back, let me just, I'm gonna give you like some advice. Ready? This is what you need to do. Go home, go outside, find like a metal bucket. <laughs> pour a lot of like ga diesel, not gasoline, diesel, and burn it, okay? Just seriously, if anyone predicts when Jesus is coming back, they're, they're a false prophet. I'll just, okay, all right. Let's just go back to what, all right. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to their radio shows. It's not worth it, okay? Uh, we believe Jesus is coming back, but there is no man that knows, okay? We don't know that. All right. Ta-da. Every now and then I'll be talking to somebody and it's like, did you hear that Jesus is coming back next Tuesday? And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> Tell me more, you know. <laughs> but he's coming back. We don't know when, we don't know how. We don't really. But he's coming back. But there's an anticipation in that, right? There's an anticipation of that. There's an, for us, it's, it's either, again, it's either death or Jesus' return. And we anticipate both of those. Look, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about death. A lot of people don't like to think about death. They don't like to think about whenever they're gonna die. Some people, they don't wanna go to funerals at all because they're just like, I don't wanna think about it. 
Did you know that it's actually good to think about death? It brings a gravity to your life. It brings a sobriety to the way that you think about those around you. Some things that seem so big in, in light of this life and what we're really in become very small. We should contemplate and think and process death because it changes the way that we live today. Anticipation sometimes isn't something that we're very excited about. I'm really not excited about dying, but it is a reality, and I do want to see Jesus. And so there's this, you know, there's this tension in that. But my point is there's a great anticipation in this, and it shapes the way that we live this reality, it causes us to live differently, but it also causes us to treat people differently. And so in regards to people, what's the next thing that we, next question we ask is, what do we learn about people? What have I learned about people? Well, again, some of the sub questions underneath that question that we talked about a couple weeks ago, how and why do people, or how do I, why do I act and think and feel the way that I do? And do I relate? Do I find myself in these scriptures? Well, here in verse 14, we see that there's three types of people mentioned, and we see what their great need is. And number one, we see that there's idle people, and there's idle people who need admonishment, right? The other two is there's faint-hearted people who need to be encouraged, and there's weak people who need help. And so the idle need admonishment. Now, what are idle people? And, and this is something that you would do if you're reading the word. You would see this word idle, and you might you know, if you're on the computer, you might do a little word search of that. Like, what does that word actually mean in this context? And, and sometimes you'll see a word that has a couple of different meanings to it. And this word is one of those. Idle, it means people who are lazy and unproductive. That's one meaning of it. All right? Idle people, they need some admonishment. Some strong encouragement. Some correction, if you will. Lazy and unproductive people, for many reasons... I don't, I don't know that, that people always just one day wake up and decide to be lazy or unproductive. You never know. It might be coming through disappointment. It might have come through different things. But wherever they find themselves, they find themselves as lazy and unproductive. Those are two words that should not be said of believers, right? Unfortunately, many times, words like that are used to describe believers, I know sometimes, you know, you hear somebody, they'll talk about, like if you're a contractor or, work, or, or something, like some of the worst people to, to do work for are Christians because they don't pay up. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I don't have all the money. Can I pray for you? <laughs> no, you can, pay, you can pay for me. Like you can pay me, you know? But, but why? There's, there's, there's a laziness. There's an unproductive lifestyle that, that can be kind of seen. And, and here he's correcting those people. Now for them also, you had the way that the church was living together. They were supporting one another. And Paul's like, hey, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ is that we're productive. We support one another. You know, churches are helping churches. People are helping people. And some people have, have grown cold in that. They're, they're, not, they're not being a part of the body of Christ and, and playing their part. Look, Paul didn't mess around. If somebody wasn't holding their own, holding their weight in the, in the word, like, I mean, they just get corrected. You know what I'm saying? And uh, nowadays in America, like, we don't, we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be corrected. And so, you know, we don't like to be called lazy. So we're all like, everybody's pumped up on hyper positivity and yay. And it's like, well, 
some of us just we're kind of fallen into laziness. We're unproductive in the body of Christ and we need to be challenged in that. But it also means to be disruptive, not in step. In step. Someone who's not in unity, not walking in step with the, with, with the community, the faith community. And he says that these people need to be admonished. They need to be corrected. How well are you at being corrected? <laughs> this isn't very fun to talk about. Um, we aren't, and most people aren't. We, we, we make people jump through hoops in order to like win our trust to such a high degree before we can ever receive anything from them. Typically, we never allow anybody to do that, even our own family. So we're, we're uncorrectable, right? We're unadmonishable. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna go with it. And the Bible instructs us here, Paul saying, no, if you're idle, you need to be admonished. It's for your good. It's for your good. It's really good to be admonished. I get admonished from people around me quite often. Mostly my kids. They admonish me. <laughs> they say little things. They, anyway. My question to you, though, is this. Are you idle? Is there, is there areas in your life where you've, you've, you're not productive? You're not, uh, you know, you're, 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 you've grown lazy? Or are, you, are you unruly? Am I idle? And that's what happens whenever you read the word like this. And, and Paul says this, put yourself in that person that's being admonished. Don't point the finger at somebody else, right? It's like, am I the, am I the idle person? Am I the unproductive, lazy person? Like, is this me? I know I can always find somebody else who is idle, but is it me, right? What about, what about the next one? The faint-hearted need to be encouraged. Discouraged people... This is kind of a, a definition of it. Discouraged people are, are, are people who are deprived of confidence, hope, or spirit. They're stagnant. Discouraged. On their way potentially to even falling into depression. Discouraged. And they're, they're faint-hearted. And these people, they need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged to press on and not to quit. Some of you today, you need to hear that. Like you've been in a really tough time. You're discouraged in your faith, in your family, in your relationships, in your job, whatever. You're discouraged. And what happens when you're discouraged, it's sort of like you lose momentum in life. You lose momentum. You lose, like think back for a second to a time in your life, a season in your life, whenever you felt like you could, I mean, you could just do no wrong. Like you're just a freight train rolling through barriers in your life. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it was like getting a degree and you just boom, you got that degree, and then boom, you got that job. And it was just like, it was, you were moving in life, progressing, and then all of a sudden that thing happened, and you, like, all the steam went out, right? You lost all momentum, and now you find yourself spinning your tires, and you're discouraged. And did you know that it's sometimes it's very difficult to restart after you gave your best Right? You spent years of your life like, like doing your best and you're like, man, I'm up and to the right. Like life is going well. And then boom, your legs get cut out from underneath you and it's like, now I have to start over? I, oh, I have, to, I have to re-engage in a new career or I have to re-engage. Some of you, your marriage fell apart and it's like all trust has gone out the window and you're like, I have to trust someone again? That's discouraging. 
And that's why we need each other for encouragement. There's some days, man, I need encouragement. Some days I need admonishment. Some days I don't need to be admonished. I need to be encouraged because I am discouraged. I'm discouraged. I tried my best and I failed. And, and that person said that thing and it hurt. I am discouraged. And he says here, for those who are faint-hearted, encourage them. So I got a question for you. Who can you encourage? Maybe you're the person that's like, I need encouragement, you know. But still, in spite of that, who can you encourage? Who's around you right now that you know that they're actually struggling? And instead of stepping in, in, in the position where a lot of people do of, of being like almost prideful and sort of condescending and like saying, well, if you wouldn't have done that, then you wouldn't be where you are. They don't need to hear that, like honestly. That's not the thing that they need to hear. They need encouragement. That's what love does. Love encourages, right? Who can I encourage? The third person we see here is that the weak need help. They need help. They need to be cared for. And when it says weak here, it's not really talking about those who are physically weak, but rather those who are spiritually weak. Those who are weak in their faith. They need help. They need support. You know, for us, uh, in the last few weeks, we were in a series, it's called Loving Logic, and it was a pretty heady series, but the goal of that series was really to help those who find themselves weak in their faith, struggling with their faith. And we would talk about things here on Sundays, and many of us who were in, in groups together, we would find ourselves in conversations that night or that week talking about some of this, this, the things that we were talking about. And we heard so many times how people were having these conversations and some, some people were like, actually, I'm the person that that message is about, it's me or it's my family. And actually I find myself, I'm really weak in this area. I don't know what I believe. And people were able to come around them and strengthen them and encourage them. In a faith community, remember Paul's trying to help people understand how to conduct themselves in the faith community. This is what it looks like to be in a faith community is that we are helping those who are weak. That's why groups are so important. Here at Northwood Church, we do groups. Basically, it's just smaller groups of people that meet together outside of a Sunday service. And if you're not in one, I highly encourage you to get in a group and remain in a group semester after semester because this is great, but this is not everything. And there is relationships. Honestly, guys, you are not gonna get all the encouragement and all the help and, and all of this that you need, admonishment just from, from this environment. We can hide in a crowd, y'all. We can hide in a crowd. I need somebody looking at me in my face, talking to me. Not always in a negative way, correcting. That's not what I'm talking about. I need somebody to know whenever I'm off. You know what I'm saying? I could smile real big for about an hour. But man, if I get in a conversation with somebody and we start talking about something real, like something comes out of me and it's like, honestly, guys, this frustrates me. I don't, I don't really get it. Or I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Or somebody else says something and then I can be there to encourage them. That's what a faith community is about. And unfortunately for many people, especially in America, we have just become like our American culture, which is very isolated, individualistic. You know what I'm saying? The whole like we drive into our garage and close our garage and then we go into our back porch with our, with our privacy fences and we don't even talk to anybody around us. You know what I'm saying? We're very individualistic. And man, the church is not supposed to be like that. We must be able to encourage one and help the weak. Those who lack faith or, or their, their trust in God is shaken. 
Who can I help? Who can I help who is weak right now? Now, here's the deal. At some point or another, you're gonna find yourself in one of these three positions if you're not there right now. You're gonna find yourself there. And whenever you are in that place, there is someone around you who is not going to be in that place. That's the great thing. I mean, think about your family. You know, somebody's sick, they got the virus, everybody else is helping them. And then all of a sudden this person gets the virus and everybody helps them, right? And, and we support one another, we help one another in that type of environment. It's the same way here. Guess what? I might not be weak today, but I might be weak tomorrow. And so if we're looking out for one another and supporting one another, great things can happen. But ultimately, Paul says this. He says to be patient with them all. <laughs> Whether somebody's weak or strong, or it doesn't matter. Be patient with them all. So lastly for today, what does God want me to do? What do we read in these scriptures that God wants us to do? Now remember, the sub-questions of this question is this. Is there a sin to avoid, a promise to claim, example to follow, or a command to obey? What is it that these scriptures tell us to do? What is God wanting us to do to react? How does he want us to react and live? Well, in verse 8, we're commanded to be sober-minded. Now, again, he's not talking about being sober, like, you know, addicted to something. That's not the context of what he's saying. He's saying be awake, be aware, like live with your eyes open, okay? Don't just be lulled to sleep. Don't be distracted by this life to where you live life day in and day out, just kind of going through the motions, lulled to sleep, distracted. And guys, listen, it's not, again, it's not always... It's not always bad things that lull us to sleep. It's really good things. To be honest, for the majority of us, we probably are lulled to sleep and distracted by success and entertainment more than anything. Comfort. It's like, I just want, I just want life to be easy. Was it uh, uh, Dr. Andy Yoborough? He said, we just wanna go through life to, to minimize pain and maximize comfort. Like that's really the goal of most of our lives is just I wanna maximize comfort and ease and minimize pain. And if I can go through life, if today I didn't feel much pain and I felt a lot of comfort and I felt like really good and pot, like I'm good. Whether or not that has anything to do with God, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? LSU won. I'm feeling really good. I was coming home from, we were in Louisiana last night and coming home, Watch it in the car, listening to it in the car. And, um, and um, I was like, yes! You know, it's, it's, just, it's just fun to watch the Gators or the, anybody in the SEC other than the LSU Tigers lose. And, you know, it's just fun. But did you know that some people, like, that's literally what they live for? I watched a guy, on, a Tennessee Volunteers fan last night on, on, uh, on line. Literally, him and his wife, like, at the front of the TV, and, and they kicked the field goal. And, and in case you don't know, Tennessee won the last second's field goal. They won it. Bah, everybody goes crazy. They carry the field goal post through the city. Crazy people. Anyway, and they're, like, kneeling before their TV. I mean, and they, they <laughs> kick the field goal, and the dude literally starts crying. I'm not talking like, oh, yeah. I'm talking, <laughs> like, just... And I was like, man, that game meant a lot to him, potentially too much, you know? 
But the, you know, there's some people out there that things like that are literally, that's what they live for. They live for football season. They live for vacation. I mean, it is the thing that they anticipate more than anything. And I wanna bring to you today that that's not living a sober-minded life. Living for those things where we are truly in the depths of our soul fulfilled by cotton candy living. You know what I'm saying? That is not, for, for a believer, that is not the appetite that, of, of things that we are to, to be eating on. Now, it's not wrong to like football. I obviously like football. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We have fun. I'm not, we go on vacation, all that. I'm just saying that like, man, what is the core, core motivation in your life? What is the thing that fills you up? Is it the things of God or is it the things of the world? And, and, and we can be lulled to sleep. We don't wanna be consumed with the cares of this life. Another word for that is just, honestly, guys, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And good things can become idols in our life as well as bad things. As we close, I wanna read Colossians 3. It says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when Christ, who is your life, come on, y'all, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is our hope. Come on, our minds are set on this. Our mind is set on when will we see Christ? And that desire trumps everything else. And that, that fuels us in a different direction. It fuels us to truly love people. It, it, it fuels us to have compassion for people. It, 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 it should fuel believers to live differently than others, right? Because we don't live for ourselves. We live in light of what Christ has done for us. It's a completely different motivation for us. And if we find ourselves today not in this train of thought, if the things that we talked about admonished us, come on. It's not, it's not negative. The, the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. And the word of God is what does it. So, so what do we do? Well, we align ourselves with what the word of God says. There's no need to live in condemnation about these things. What we do in a moment of time, we repent. We say, man, I can see where I haven't been living right. And we adjust. And we do that daily. So what we just talked about here, guys, and these three questions... Obviously, we took about 35 minutes to talk about all these things or so, but you could literally be sitting on your back porch and have moments like this where the word of God just reads you and the spirit of God uh, adjusts your thinking, adjusts the, the, the purpose of your life in one degree, 1% changes every day. It's not always about these gigantic changes or, you know, 50% change here, this giant revelation here. Many times it's about just the small incremental changes and revelations that God wants to give to us. And it just shapes the way that we live. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. God, that it is sharp. And it cuts between, it deciphers our intentions, and it changes us. And so, God, today, Father, we submit to your word. We submit to your truth. 
We're so grateful that, that as people, we can read your word and, and learn of, about who you are. God, to learn about ourselves. God, that we are not living this life blind, but we have the lamp, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And God, even though we might not know everything, God, we might not know what's coming in five years. Lord, you have given us what we need for today. And we trust in that. We rest, we rest in that. We rest in the truth of your word. Come on right now, if you've been worried, if you've been kind of living in a place of, of fear, you feel lost, you feel confused, I believe that the word of God brings clarity to those things inside of us. At the very least, it might not bring complete clarity to the situation, but the word of God allows us to truly trust God, to put our faith in him. And right now, I wanna give everybody an opportunity for that. If, if you're here, the, the scriptures that we just read said, be sober and, and put on the helmet of salvation and faith and love. Clothe yourself basically in Jesus and what he has done. We don't stand before God in our own righteousness. We stand before God in Christ's righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. We don't bring anything to the table. And so if you're here today and you've been trying to get cleaned up before you come to God because you feel like that's what needs to be done right now, I want you to just, just in your own way, surrender that. Put that aside. Say, God, I surrender all that I am. I believe in Jesus. Come on, if that's you, if you know you're far from God, just say, I believe in Jesus. I surrender my life to him. Maybe for some of you, You've said this prayer before, but you're far from him. You've wandered away. You're living according to your own desires. You know it. And it's, it, today's a great day to repent. And repent just means change the way that you're thinking, to turn from that which is unrighteous and to turn to Jesus, to turn to righteous living. For you, come on, just repent. Say, God, just forgive me. Just forgive me of the way I've been thinking, the way I've been acting. God, we know your grace is sufficient for us. You're faithful and just to forgive us. So God, we surrender our hearts to you. We believe in you. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. I pray for each person here, God, anyone who is far from you, that today that you would reveal, reveal yourself to them, reveal your heart to them. In Jesus' name, amen.